Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. We are, of course, in 2 Peter. This is our ninth look at 2 Peter, if I'm counting correctly. It's always a good chance I'm not, but I think that's right. This is our ninth sermon. We're going to begin today in verse 14 of chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2 beginning in verse 14. Just for a matter of a little bit of review, you remember the title of this series that we started some nearly 10 weeks ago now, confirming our call, he tells us in chapter 1 verse 10, to make your calling sure. This is not our calling to preach or calling to teach, but it is our calling of salvation. We know that he has called those who are to be saved and we, we understand that and we know it's all of God and we know it has nothing to do with us. We don't add to it. Uh, we don't make it better in any way. We bring nothing to the table. It is all a work by the grace of God. But yet Peter says in the days that you are going to face, because he's talking to the church in the, near the end of his life and he says, that the days you're going to face, the days that Cornerstone Fellowship will face thousands of years later, he is telling us, make sure of your calling. Don't take that lightly. Has, has your life been transformed? Don't assume, well, I, I was raised uh, in America, I must be a Christian, it's a Christian nation, or I went to church some, or... I even made some kind of profession of faith or even I was baptized or whatever. Peter says, do not put your trust in any of that. He says, make sure of your calling. So we're going to continue to do that. Now, he began in chapter 2, verse 1, telling us that there would be false teachers rise up among us. And i got to tell you something. He has been on a tear ever since. He has been relentless. He has called them everything but children of God. He has hammered them from the very start. And it'd be, I guess, uh, uh, one thing if he was about to let up, but he's not. And so we will begin in chapter uh, 2, verse 14 here in a moment, and he's got some more things to say, and we want to go through the end of the chapter today. Before we look at it, though, I'd say this. Al Mohler wrote a book some time ago, I've read a couple of times, The Gathering Storm, and this was something that he said that fits our world today to a T. He said, here's a real question. Do Christians nowadays believe enough biblical truth to withstand the liberalism of the age? Do we really believe enough biblical truth? Sometimes we say we do, but when we're challenged on certain issues that could be controversial, we seem to grow silent. Are, are, are we kind of are uncertain and, and, and we say ridiculous things like, well, uh, you know, we just don't know and, 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 and well, you know, there's a lot of ways of looking at it. That is the very question that Dr. Moeller is raising. Do we believe enough biblical truth to survive the onslaught against us? He says, cultural forms of Christianity have been largely de-Christianized and tamed. And nominal Christianity is disappearing fast. And I believe that. We are seeing a sifting 
A lot of churches are in despair that crowds are dwindling, and, and I think we're going to see maybe even more of that, and, and our, I'm, we're blessed that our church is growing, but I can tell you it's going to be a tough road ahead. It's not going to be easy. I think we have entered into that final stage before God comes and calls His bride home to be with Him. And these are going to be difficult, difficult times. Oliver Roy wrote a book several years ago, 2019, called Is Europe Christian? And this was something he said that's important. Dechristianization never takes a step backwards. Once any ground is gained whatsoever, when the world becomes more secular, when churches began to cozy up to ideas that we know are not biblical and we know they're not true. When, when we become to de- get to the point that we begin to de-Christianize our, our schools, our homes, our families, our thinking, even our churches understand something, that is a movement that never moves backwards. It just keeps forging ahead and eating away at us like a cancer. Yesterday, I will tell you, your pastors met, and we did some business, but we prayed, and we prayed that God would give us wisdom. I challenged the other pastors to think in terms of Moses as he stood looking at the Red Sea and hearing the hoofbeats behind him of the army of Pharaoh getting louder and louder as time went by. And I remember when Moses said to them, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. And that's where we're going to have to be. I can tell you that it, we are, this, this is not some uh, foolishness to just to try to stir you up or, or scare you or any of that. But we need to be still, stand firm. And see the salvation of the Lord. Because I can tell you, I don't care who we elect. I don't care who we support. I don't care how firm we are in our beliefs. I don't care how ready we are to take up a shotgun and go fight. I don't care what we're ready to stand for or how mean we are ready to be about it. I can tell you, we will not change the course of this country or this world. It is something that only God can do. He continues on talking about these false teachers. In verse 14 he says, they have eyes full of adultery. If you don't know it by now, they're not innocent bystanders. They're not just people that have a difference of opinion they're not folks that just see it a different way they're not harmless in any way shape or form we know that already and here he says hey they have eyes that are full of adultery insatiable for sin john a.t robinson the greek scholar says this that actually literally the words here is They have eyes full of an adulteress. And what he he explains it this way, that Peter is saying that every woman they look at, they are so vile and so immoral, every woman they see, they almost immediately began to imagine pursuing some kind of illicit encounter. Maybe measuring her up, oh, she looks good. Wonder if she's married. Wonder if she cares. Uh, it, it is like their eyes everywhere they look, it's like they're glazed over with an adulteress. And, and that's what they see. That's the, that's the view that they always have. Insatiable for sin, he says. They can't stop what they're doing. And he says they're so wicked though, they can't remain where they are. 
the thrill has to grow. It's insatiable. Once they reach point A, they want to go to point B. And it gets worse and more depraved as it goes along. It's sort of like a drug addict. What was enough yesterday won't be enough today. And it will continue to grow and, and it will continue on to, to, to absorb those lives and, and destroy those families because mere depravity is just not enough. We see it nowadays. People, it's like they are restless to see how wicked they can be. And, and I have to tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of hard to surprise because I'm fairly cynical in my thinking about this world. But i got to tell you, even I'm a little bit surprised at the boldness and the brass that some use when they talk about we're coming for your children and and we're we are coming for your homes and and we're coming into the schools because I can just tell you them going somewhere by themselves and just being depraved is not enough. They want in our homes, they want in our schools, they want in our churches. They don't want to just ignore God's design for marriage or sexuality. They want to deny it right here. It is never, ever going to be enough. If you think one day they'll settle down, or, or you think if we pass some more laws possibly, that that, that that would curtail some of this, I can tell you, you will never be able, we will never be able to control it. He says their hearts are trained in greed. It's like a boxer who is training for a fight. He knows which muscles he's going to really have to tone. And he knows also uh, the endurance he's going to have to have. And these people aren't sitting idly by just waiting on an opportunity. No, Peter says they are training themselves in the depravity that has engulfed their lives, schooled in the desire for the forbidden. And then he says something interesting. This is called a Hebraism. It's usually said that they are an accursed brood, but Peter says they are accursed children here. The word katara is the Greek word here, and I will tell you this. It is about as close to the profanity that you hear some people use. The word we abbreviate with GD, that's really not what was meant in the commandment, taking the Lord's name in vain. It was far more than that. But Katara probably comes closer to God actually damning somebody than any word we're probably ever going to find in all of Scripture. Kata means down, and katara means must go down. God has designed some people's lives because of their rebellion, because that they are these kinds of teachers, and they have so turned their back on God, Peter says, that God has determined they are without hope. We don't like to say that. We like to talk about that there is nobody that is without hope in the eyes of God. I, I think that's true, but I want to tell you something. And I know, I, 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 I turn to Isaiah 59.1 where the hand of God is not shortened to save. I, I understand that. But Peter is not talking about God's ability or even God's willingness there are some people that are doomed. And it's not because God just decided to doom them, but I don't care how much power God has, and it's infinite, to save to the uttermost. If you don't want to be saved, you're not going to be saved. And you're going to die and go to hell. I was thinking we'd have more amens. But I'm telling you, it's the truth. They're accursed, and that's what the word means. That when you don't want to be saved, and nowadays it's not, I don't, I rarely run into anybody that just goes around shaking their face physically, their fist physically in the face of God. But I know a lot of people that 
they kind of have a softer form of this total rejection of God. I just won't be told what to do. I just see it sort of like this. And, and I, I don't, I believe the Bible, but there's just some things I, I just don't know about. And I see them differently and, and I refuse to, to embrace uh, that kind of thinking. So it, it, it doesn't always come across vile and loud and arrogant. But I can tell you when you stiffen your neck and you allow your heart to grow cold, there comes a time when I can tell you there is no more hope. But you won't be worried about it. People who are a curse never wake up crying about it. They don't want to be saved. They don't want to know God. And a lot of them have already found churches they can attend that will actually uh, support those foolish ideas that they have. And, 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 and boy, some of them hate ideas that are dear to the Christian faith. I, I talked with a couple this week. We were just praising God together about His design for marriage. But that complementary role that we have with each other my feminine side is sitting right here on the front row, and I don't mean Wally. And her masculine side is standing in this pulpit. I can tell you, you may not know it, but there are people who are kind of a, a new version of Christian. They despise that. They hate that. They've had one of these false teachers to, to set them free from that kind of Old Testament legalistic thinking. And I can tell you, if you have a marriage that is designed by God and you both come together and fulfill the role that God has given you, there is nothing sweeter in the whole world. Oh, it doesn't mean it'll all be bliss. But I will tell you, it is just like everything else God has said in His Word. We can argue with it till we're blue in the face. Beat your head against that wall till you've bloodied your noggin. But God tells us what will work, and He tells us what will not work. And He didn't tell it to us, saying it will all depend on whether you like it or whether you accept it. His laws about morality are like His other laws. You know, like gravity. Take that one on. You'll be in the hospital. His other laws are the same way. Verse 15, forsaking the right way. They weren't born heathens. They know. They've heard. They've listened. They've seen it. They, they, they forsook the right way. They have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam. There's just an Old Testament character. He was a son of Beor who loved gain from wrongdoing. You'll find him in the book of Numbers chapter 22 and 24. But this is such an important point that Peter makes. They're like Balaam. The key word to understanding Balaam is compromise. Balak. Balak was the king of Moab and he knew the children of Israel were coming near his land and he was trying to figure out how he could defend himself against them if they, if they attacked him. Because he had already heard about their record. They defeat people. Armies greater than them and fortresses that, that, that just fall to the earth because God said to. So Balak is like, I, I really need some help here. So he hires him a prophet. And Balaam comes to town, of course, and he finally, when he tells him, look, I can't curse them. I've tried already, and every time I curse them, God blesses them. That's never going to work. So what Balaam told uh, Balak to do, he says, infiltrate the camp. Send some good-looking gals down there. Get them to sin against God. And you can defeat them any day you like. Because their strength is found in their relationship with God. Boy, I want to tell you something. God had a sore spot for Balaam from then on. 
But I can tell you, compromise. It's rarely going to ever, you know, temptation comes in a lot of ways, but rarely is it, is it just, just raw and right in front of your face. Sometimes it might be, but I've never heard a false teacher say, hey, I'm standing here today and I want all of you to hate God. That's not how the way of Balaam works. It's going to be rather, well, I just don't see anything wrong with fill in the blank. Or it might even be, well, the way I was raised, man, I I can tell you not everybody got raised by a dear sweet grandma like mine. So the way we were raised in the truth of God may be eons apart my friend and I will tell you this I I also don't like it when I hear people say well you know they see things differently they're not Baptists who cares if they're Baptists or not who cares about any of that I want to tell you there is no confession there's no catechism no church dogmas there are no covenants there's no anything of that if it is outside of scripture that has the same authority as the word of god so to say well they're methodists or they see it this way and it's different or blah 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 i don't care a thing about any of that it doesn't matter what does god's word have to say Compromise. We have to be alert. Verse 16. He says, But Balaam was rebuked by his own, for his own transgressions. A speechless donkey. Balaam would say, Don't tell me you was speechless. He preached a pretty good sermon. With human voice. With a human voice, he restrained the prophet's madness. It took a donkey, a donkey, this is, this is just so amazing. A donkey possessed with the Spirit of God has way more sense than a seminary trained prophet. Don't forget that. That's how I got this job. I am telling you, God can put His Spirit in a, in a donkey and, and, and use Him. And, and let me just tell you how, how much God had disdain for Balaam. If you look in the New Testament, I just think it's interesting. Three times in the New Testament, here we hear about in this chapter the way of Balaam. Again, what's the way of Balaam? It's compromise. God says, I despise it. I despise it when you kind of shade the edges a little bit. Oh, you're just not standing up in God's face. No. You just got, you know, you, you got friends that are that way. Or, or what are you going to do? You got family that see it a different way. When you start all of that, God says, I despise it. It's the way of Balaam. In the book of Jude, Jude talks about the era of Balaam. And then in the book of the Revelation, God's still not finished with him. He talks about there the doctrine of Balaam. Pretty popular character who have lived in Numbers 22. And he made it all the way to the last book of the Bible because what he did was so dangerous. Verse 17, These teachers, they are waterless springs and mist driven by a storm. From them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. Waterless springs. They're like someone that has crawled his way to a creek to get a sip of water and there is no water. What it promised, it was not able to bring about. And and then mist, it's like the land is dry and a cloud comes up and maybe there's thunder and darkness in the sky, but, but not a drop. He says these false teachers are the same way. He says they're classic hypocrites because they pretend to have something or to bring something that they do not have springs with no water clouds with no rain you know a good question for every preacher in the pulpit this morning is did God bring the rain today you can stand up and tell people funny stories and make them laugh sad stories 
and make them cry, you can do all kinds of things. If you're good enough at it, you can fish amens out of a crowd and until everybody there is just about in a lather. But I can tell you, if God doesn't bring the rain, if God's Spirit doesn't move and use those words to touch people's hearts, I'm telling you, you're wasting your time preaching and you're wasting your time sitting here. Gets you all excited. and Leaves you empty. I'll say this quickly. I... I told Sharon I was taking this out of the notes now she's going to hurt me after the service so pray for me I, I thought about our world and how it has promised so so much and delivered so little I, I love history and I know I tell you that a lot but when I think about communism at, at the first of the last century the Bolshevik revolution that started in Russia and it later on turned into full-bore communism and all of that. And, and, and you think about Russia and all that communism promised. And boy, you look at the landmass of Russia and the tanks lined up for miles. And, and boy, what a powerhouse, uh, uh, boy, Russia is. And, 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 but let me tell you the skinny on communism. I don't have the numbers in front of me now because I took them out, but the state of Texas has a higher GDP than the whole country of Russia. That place is poverty-stricken for the most part. That's what communism can bring you. Talk to somebody who got out of Cuba. Man, you better keep a distance. They might take you on. I, I, I can just tell you those kind of things are foolish. As a matter of fact, if you look at North Korea, you can look it up. Their GDP, do you know we don't even have a state that has a lower GDP than the whole country of North Korea? GDP is a gross domestic product. It is all the goods and all the services that a country musters together in one year. Vermont has the lowest in America. It's a tiny state. But they still are far better off than the whole country of North Korea. We have a world friend that if we could preach the gospel to them and help them to see that what we're talking about has water in it. These clouds rain. This promise is from God. And he'll fulfill it. And governments have jerked you around and taken your lives and killed millions of you. But God is offering salvation. And this is for real. We have a world that is ripe for that. Verse 18, for speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh. Those who are barely escaping from those who live in error, those that, that, that are not well versed in their faith, those that are just barely escaping from error, that's the target that they love to hit. And they entice with sensual passions of the flesh. When I look at false teachers nowadays. Man, when you look at their lives, they love to flaunt it because they know their fabulous lifestyle, their riches, that is an attraction. And that does attract thousands upon thousands of people. I saw where one preacher, I won't mention his name, but he's the one I talk about all the time. His jet cost $85 million. $85 million. Or was it billion, Mike? You flew on it with him. Maybe billion. I don't know. It will seat 150-something people. We're talking about an airliner. Oh, we're not talking about little Lear jets anymore. We are talking about something that is extravagant. And those kinds of things can, can, can whip us into a lather and people go there to their churches just waiting on some of that to rub off on them. They want to claim them something in the name of God so that God will do it for them as well. And it is so 
so enticing. Verse 19 says, they promised them, listen to this, they promised them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whoever overcomes a person, or whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. New Testament scholar Thomas Schreiner talks about this verse. He says this freedom is most definitely freedom from moral restraints. And, and when I see this again, don't, don't go to the extreme. Just, just think about it. When false teachers get a hold of people, boy, it's so subtle sometimes. And, and I thought about some ideas that, that, that are so prominent among, among false teachers today. The idea that we are the church, you don't go to church, we are the church. That's the truth. That's the truth of God right there. You can take that to the bank. You don't go to church, we are the church. But what false teachers do with that is tell people, well, then you don't need to go to church. It is sort of like tithing. People talk about tithing's Old Testament, you don't have to do that anymore. And you're exactly right. It is absolutely Old Testament. So you know what we wind up doing with that? Because of our sinful nature as human beings, instead of not giving a tithe, we just don't give anything sometimes. It is almost like we are so wicked, we really need legalism to keep us straight. We need a dollar figure written down. Something that we can shoot for as a goal and feel no further obligation after we've met that goal. Oh, there's no more Sabbath. We know now that we are supposed to keep every day holy. We know the early church worshipped on Sunday, so we worship on Sunday. But man, when you tell us that well, you know, we don't really honor the Sabbath anymore. What most people wind up doing is not honoring God on any day anymore. We know we're not transformed or saved by works. But with a lot of people, it is almost like, well, so I'm saved, I'll go live however I want to. We're so pitiful, the grace of God, we abuse it. We abuse it. We need a fence. You know how some people in our society, unless you lock them behind bars, they get it wrong every time? And they get it wrong behind bars, but they're not getting it wrong to so many, but to just a handful of people in there. That's the way Christians are. Sometimes are, are people that, that say they're Christians. They, it's almost like the grace of God is just too good for us. We, we abuse that freedom. And Paul said, look, if, if, if God's grace is magnified because we're sinners and He saved us, and, and then should we go on and, and sin even more so that grace will abound even further? Two words, God forbid, he said. God forbid. We love to sing just as I am. Then we wind up sometimes being just as we were and staying that way. It's almost like we can't handle the freedom that is offered to us in Christ. Man, some who have left the church claim they have finally been set free. They like to quote John eight thirty two: you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They feel like, man, we've been set free. Yeah, man. We, we, we don't need all of that junk we were hearing. We, we, we're set free. We, we, we live a different way now. We, 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 got a, we got latitude we didn't have before. If you stay in John chapter 8, though, you'll realize a couple of things. One, he's talking about knowing the truth. That's not an intellectual knowledge that's a relational knowledge, knowing the truth. Because who is the truth? It's not what is the truth. It is who is the truth. And that is Jesus Christ.
I have a relationship with this beautiful lady here on the front row. Again, I don't mean Wally. But I have a relationship with her. So I didn't go to a lawyer and ask him, how much money do I need to give her every week to be legally considered supporting her? Could you imagine coming home and telling her that? Brother Mike, you'd need to preach probably at least a couple of weeks till I got the neck brace off. That's the relationship we're talking about. And I don't want to be free from that. I want to go home with her today. I don't have to I mean, I could say, well, I don't have to go home with her to be married. No, I don't, but I want to because I have a relationship with her. I don't have to be told or have guidelines that force me. Fences, my friend, are not for sheep. They are for goats. Legalism is not for sheep. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. And I know them. And they don't need a pasture. I threw that in. They don't need a fence. Because they follow me. They follow me. Well, verse 20. He says, for if after they have escaped, watch this closely, the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord And Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. Now, you'd be lying if you said that verse is not interesting. (laughs) After they've escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. Did they lose their salvation? Is Is that... what he is trying to say here, it is, it's, it's not like they have never heard the gospel. They have heard the gospel and they know the way. Some of them had parents that prayed for them. Some of them had Nellies in their life like my grandmother, but they know the way and they know what they're supposed to do. They have clear knowledge of All of that. They have the knowledge of the truth which in turn becomes their very condemnation. They cannot claim ignorance. We talk a lot sometimes and it's an interesting conversation about what about those who've never heard. There are so many that have heard and don't care. They have heard. They grew weary with it. It was exciting for a while, but like everything else in life, they were looking for something to be wrong with it, and they found it. They found it. A reason to quit. A reason to bail. Hypocrites in the church. We got hypocrites in our church. I'm one of the biggest. Yeah. We, we, none of us are, boy, we all can preach better than we can live. I'm just telling you. Somebody told Dr. Kenneth Rodings one time, my old homiletics teacher who's with the Lord now, he said a lady came to him one Sunday and told him, preacher, we've got open sin in the church. He said, I looked at her and told her, says, ma'am, ever since you called me as your pastor, you've had open sin in the pulpit. Now you don't, need to take that and go, well, oh, I didn't know all that. I, let, let me just tell you, that's the very thing Satan wants us to get from all of that. Because after we start being ashamed to admit we fail, we start faking it and lying about it and excusing it and covering it up. Do you want that in the pulpit or would you rather me stand here and tell you I fail God every day? You're pretty quiet today. Verse 21. For it would have been better for them. 
never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment that was delivered to them. Man, again, here is another verse right behind verse 20 that indicates that these people showed tons of signs that at one time in their life that they were Christians. They had all of the appearances of being a child of God. And he says it's better for them to have never even known the way of righteousness. See, it's not that they're just miserable here. We're talking about the fact that they're going to go to hell when they die. They're going to be miserable here probably, but we're not just talking about they'll lose their reward but make it to heaven. No, it would be better if they had just never heard it at all. So are they saved or are they lost? Well, or were they saved and lost? Let's go to verse 22. I am so glad Peter cleared it up for us here. He said, what the true proverb says has happened to them. This is what happened to them. The dog returns to its vomit. That's from Proverbs. And the sow, after washing herself, returns to the wallow in the mire. Two similes. Okay? Two similes, dogs and pigs. And these two unclean beasts are united in Jesus' teaching. Matthew 7, 6 says, Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. For one thing, pigs have kind of always been pigs. I, I, I say that, and then I just thought about something. There are pet pigs now, right? <sighs> yeah. Uh, if I had a pet pig, I can tell you his name would be Chris P. Okay? <laughs> but dogs in this day ran in packs. They killed innocent animals. They were more like our coyotes nowadays. They were vicious. They were unclean and they were despised in this culture. Pigs were also unclean. So dogs and pigs, they're pictures of mankind out of touch with God. That's what Jesus was indicating. It is also what Peter is indicating. So what happened to them? Well, he said, this is a true proverb. The dog returns to his vomit. And the sow, the first mud hole she saw, she could not help herself. Here's our answer to the question we raised earlier. The dog felt better on the inside. And the sow looked better on the outside. But their hearts were never transformed. He was still a dog. And she was still a pig. And the first opportunity they got to return to that which had already made them so sick, they couldn't even hold it down. They turned right back to it. Like a dog lapping up its own vomit. And a pig... First mud hole she sees, she's off to the races. I'll tell you something that frightens me sometimes. And boy, I'm no one to judge anybody's heart. But I can tell you, I've seen people before that, some even in leadership in churches, Their true nature came out a time or two, and they didn't really deal with it. They smoothed things over. The feelings that were hurt, the suspicions that had been raised about their personal life were kind of, I don't know, covered over, and they never 
dealt with it. I will tell you, if that person has not truly repented, given his or her life to Christ, and been transformed by the power of God, all it will take is an opportunity. Just the right opportunity. Another church will be devastated. Another family torn all to pieces. Another incident that everybody will just be gasping about. Because like a dog, doesn't matter how nasty it is. Doesn't matter how sick it made him the first time. He can't help it. And the sow, man, you can put a dress on her. First mud hole. It's her nature. You can't really hold it against her. It's what she's made to do. Wow. Man, I think we all ought to take a serious look at ourselves and ask ourselves. I, I, I know it. I, I'm going to assume most everybody in here is born again. That's what I think, and when we all die, what I think won't matter. Did you see all of the things that these people demonstrated that made them look like a Christian? But maybe you're sitting here right now and you know you have ridden this roller coaster all your life. You go as far as you can go and when you can't stand it anymore you just puke everywhere. Somehow or another you just crawl right on back that uh, that relationship or another one just like it. You know what does it honor God? You did so good for a while, but the first wallowing hole you saw, you just couldn't help yourself. Man, what a horrible way to live. Maybe you'd like to say, God, I'm tired of riding this ride. I'm tired of hurting myself. I'm tired, God, of turning right back to the same hellish devil meant that ruined my life. How many more marriages for you will it take? How many more great jobs do you have to lose? How many more relationships have to be ruined? How, how many more things in your life have to get messed up before you finally say, God, I humbly fall before you and I want you to save me. I want to repent and I need you to transform my life. There's some, I'm afraid, only reason they're still married now. Right opportunity hadn't come along. When it does, they won't be. There are others, maybe it's something else, I don't know. This is a powerful word. Can't ignore it. So I pray today, as we bow our heads and close our eyes right now, everyone, maybe you'd like to just say, God, help me. Help me, God. I don't want to live like this anymore. I want you to change my life. I'm tired of fighting and trying to come up with reasons, God, to not be in your house or to serve you or to give or to do whatever it is, Lord, I know I need to do, God. I'm tired of, I'm tired of the things in my life that I may hide well, but they dominate me. They just dominate me, God. Maybe you'd like to tell him right now, God, please. I remember one time I prayed. The night I gave my life to Christ, all I could pray for a while was just God. And I just kept saying his name till I could put some words together. And I'd been raised in church. I knew all of the 
artificial prayers. I knew the right words to say, but when it came from my heart, all of a sudden, I couldn't even get my breath. Maybe right now, sitting where you are in that seat, September the 10th, 2023, may be the day you look back on for the rest of your life and say, sitting in that church that day, it was like when he preached There was no one there but me. God spoke through that message. And I was a broken man. I was a contrite woman. I was tired and weary. And it was there that I fell on my face before God. Oh, that could be so awesome. Let me pray for you. Lord, I come to you right now and I ask you, God, please, please help whoever is here today that needed to hear this. Lord, I pray right now you just help them to surrender their heart and life to you. And I pray for all of the rest of us, God. We are bombarded with invitations to compromise. Our world is so full, Lord, of things that Your Word tells us is an abomination. But God, there's so much of it. It's everywhere. We've admitted we can't stop it, so God, we have, we're so tempted sometimes to blur the lines, maybe. Take a fresh look. Maybe decide that your word is antiquated. That it wasn't written for a time like ours. That certain truths could be gleaned from it. But it needs to be adjusted. There needs to be some kind of social compromise or negotiation. I pray God you'd help us to stand strong. Lord, we've given up so much. I pray we'd stand firm on Your Word. I pray for every mom and dad in this place that has children that they're trying to protect. God, give them wisdom. Every school teacher that's here, Lord, I pray, God, for them as they try to stand up for what is right. I pray You'd help us, God, to turn toward the cross like a flint and never compromise, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at servantsway.com or email us at office at servantsway.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week. 